The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2011 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. Well, mortal client in the end times, uh, 2 Peter 3, 3-6 says, Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? So in the last days, people are going to mock the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church. And I think we really saw that demonstrated for us very recently. Remember the guy that said that the rapture was going to happen on May 21st, 2011? And he had put up billboards all across this country. Uh, we had a prophecy conference up in Milwaukee. There, were, there was one up, I saw a couple of them up by Milwaukee. I have a friend of mine that lives in Alaska. He called me on the phone. He says, oh yeah, he's got them up here, out here in Alaska. I mean, they're all over the world. This guy spent like $100 million putting these signs up all over the world. And of course, it didn't happen. But did anybody happen to see a sign like this? I didn't see them, but I found this on the internet. These signs were put up, these billboards were put up by atheists, mocking the rapture and the second coming of Christ. It reads, the rapture, you know it's nonsense, 2,000 years of any day now. What does Peter say? When they're mocking then you know you're in the last days. And we are really in a time when we're seeing more and more now the the mocking and uh, the atheists had what they called a rapture party on May 22nd to mock the fact that the rapture didn't happen. And then Peter said they're doing this, they're following their own lusts. And I've seen uh, these billboards in Chicago. Uh, The atheists have put these up around the buses around London. There's probably no God, now stop worrying and enjoy your life. So what's Peter say? They they deny uh, God because they want to follow their own lusts. Hey, if there's no God, you can live the way you want, right? Sleep around, you want party time. And if, if there's no God to give an account to, hey, you got nothing to worry about. So uh, based on this, man, uh, you know, we, we really are in the end times. Uh, you know, we certainly cannot set a date. No man knows the day or hour. Uh, so I don't know how this one guy thought that he could set a date. But uh, when we see people mocking the second coming of Christ like this and putting billboards up, wow, it, it's got to be close, isn't it? Well, moral decline in the end times. There's another scripture in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 5. It says, realize this, in the last days difficult times will come for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Does that sound like a description of our age today? Uh, Speaking of lovers of pleasure, isn't it interesting, the excuses that people give for not attending church on Sunday morning, but they're the same things that they will tolerate to attend, for example, a Chicago Bears football game. You ever notice that? 
They say, oh, I can't go to church. The pews are too hard. They're uncomfortable. But yet they'll sit in Chicago Stadium on those hard benches, those hard seats in freezing sub-zero temperatures. Say, oh, I can't go to church. All they want is my money. But yet they'll, they'll pay you know, $50 to $100 for a football ticket, go down to the Chicago Stadium, pay another $40, $50, up towards $100 for parking. They'll pay uh, you know, $5 for a hot dog, $5 for a Coke. <laughs> they say, oh, the message is too boring at churches. But they'll sit through a boring football game when their team's getting plastered, you know, 21 to nothing. Now, a good example of the rest of these verses can be found right here in America. Did you know that although America, although we're considered to be a Christian nation, did you know that we have the highest percentage of single-parent families? We have the highest abortion rate, the highest rate of STDs, the highest teenage birth rate, the highest rate of teenage drug use in the industrialized world. And there's a growing intolerance for Christianity right here in America, which goes hand-in-hand with gross immorality in the end times, and it's evident in these examples. Consider this. Did you know that UCLA prohibited a graduating student from thanking her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in her graduation speech? I mean, that would be unthinkable years ago here in America. Colleges are making special accommodations for footbaths and Muslim-only prayer rooms, but denying Christian campus groups the same recognition because it requires its officers and voting members to agree with its Christian beliefs. Seems to me that what's happening here in America is similar to what happened in the Roman Empire years ago. Rome's fall resulted from a gradual downturn of their political, economic, and military systems, and moral values. Barbarian invasions and settlements within their empire were the final doom. But let's look at some specific examples and problems that developed within the Roman Empire, and we're going to see some striking parallels in the United States of America today. In the ancient Roman Empire, there was increased economic inequality among its citizens. The Romans implemented a system of tax collection that drove many small-scale farmers and business owners out of business, which resulted in more out-of-work people being dependent on the government, which placed even more tax burden upon those who could not escape taxation. Does that sound familiar? Incompetent. In ancient Rome, there was incompetent political leadership. In ancient Rome, the Romans fought with most of the Middle East countries and many other countries, resulting in a strained military and a drain on financial resources. And wow, we've got troops all over the world, don't we? And I think one of the biggest expenses in this country is the military. High inflation caused by years of Roman coinage devaluation. When was it that we stopped making silver coins? Yeah, they're, they're not silver anymore, are they? They're, they're almost worthless. Um, the Roman society became more complex as it tried to solve problems, creating new layers of bureaucracy, infrastructure, and social classes. Moral decay, sexual immorality, and perversion became out of control, including rampant homosexuality, prostitution, pornography, increased lust for blood and violence in sporting events. It kind of reminds me of these shows on TV that are popular now, this extreme fighting. Have you seen those where they put a couple guys in a cage and they go at each other? 
The Roman Empire spent more money than it took in than it took in due to an enormous budget it took to maintain the military and infrastructure such as roads and water supply. Additional economic stress was placed on the empire when a greater amount of money had to be spent on social services to keep a restless public happy. This included the promise of pension payments made to retired bureaucrats. And you know, when our uh, government officials retire today, even if they serve only one term, they get these huge pensions, don't they, uh, that, that last until they die. As we consider the moral decline in the end times, it seems uh, even many believers have been caught up in the moral decay of our times. The divorce rate among Christians is pretty much the same as it is among non-Christians, and our Christian youth are about as materialistic as unsaved people are today. Consider this example. Shortly after Richard Wormbrand was exiled from Romania following 14 years of brutal imprisonment for his faith, He was speaking at a home meeting in suburban America. When the meeting ended, one of the men asked Pastor Wormbrand, quote, Why is it that we don't have to deal with communism here in America? His reply was, You don't have communism here in America. You have something far worse. You have materialism. Look at uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8, if you have your Bible. Deuteronomy and chapter 8. So the Word of God warns against the lure of materialism, and I think that's one of the biggest uh, problems in our country right now. As God warned Israel in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 10, When you have eaten and are full, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold are multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up and thou forget the Lord thy God. And I think that's one of the main problems here in America We have become so rich and wealthy, we have forgotten the Lord our God. But it seems to me one of the biggest um, indicators of moral decline in our times has to do with the acceptance of the gay lifestyle in our world today. As you know that on June 29th, 2009, President Barack Obama welcomed 300 gay activists to the White House to commemorate the 40th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. Now, understand that these 300 people he invited were not just average people, they were activists, people that are really pushing that agenda. The Stonewall Riots took place in Brooklyn, New York, and it was a turning point for the gay rights movement. The president addressed the enthusiastic gathering with these words, quote, Welcome to your White House. During his address, President Obama belittled those who, quote, still hold fast to worn-out arguments and old attitudes. Hmm, I wonder if he was, might have had you and I in mind there, huh? The president singled out a man by the name of Frank Khamenei for special praise. Khamenei, now in his 80s, once stated that the God of the Bible is a, quote, sinful, homophobic bigot who needs to repent. 
Of this man, President Obama said, quote, we are so proud of you, Frank, and we are grateful to you for your leadership. It now seems that the gay community has gone from playing defense to playing offense. Consider this. Act Up leader Steve Warren, a gay activist, issued this ominous warning to religious Jews and Christians in his September 1987 magazine called The Advocate. He stated five things. Number one, henceforth, homosexuality will be spoken of in your churches and synagogues as an honorable state. Number two, you can either let us marry people of the same sex or better yet, abolish marriage altogether. Number three, you will instruct your people in homosexual as well as heterosexual behavior. You will go out of your way to make certain that homosexual youths are either allowed to, are, that are allowed to date, attend religious functions together, openly display affection without embarrassment or guilt. If, number four, if any of the older people in your midst object, you will deal with them sternly, making certain they renounce their ugly and ignorant views or suffer public humiliation. And number five, finally, we will in all likelihood want to expunge a number of passages from your scriptures and rewrite others. If all these things do not come to pass quickly, we will subject Orthodox Jews and Christians to the most sustained hatred and vilification in recent memory. Now that's a pretty uh, ominous warning, huh? And um, kind of looks like it's uh, well on the way to being fulfilled. Did you know that a Swedish pastor in his 70s was given a prison sentence for simply preaching a sermon in his own church in which he stated that all non-marital relations were sinful since his message was said to offend the gays. The verdict was later overturned by the Swedish Supreme Court, but isn't it amazing that it had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to be overturned? Not long ago, to hate meant to feel hostility or animosity toward, to detest. However, in recent years, the contemporary lexicon of political correctness and sensitivity, that's the dictionary the left has memorized, uh, they have expanded that definition of to hate to include, quote, to hold to Judeo-Christian principles and values, to stand for biblical morality. So according to that uh, dictionary, you and I that stand for biblical morality, we are haters. Well, a good way to measure moral decline is by comparing life as it was then, many years ago, and life as it is today, uh, then and now. And really see this on our college campuses today. Let's take, for example, Harvard University years ago when it was founded and established, and then Harvard University today. Harvard University was founded in 1636 as Harvard College with the motto, Truth. Its purpose was to train a literate clergy. Among the rules and precepts to be observed by students were these. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well. The main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life. Everyone shall so exercise himself in reading the scriptures twice a day that he shall be ready to give such an account of his proficiency therein. 
Sounds great, doesn't it? That was Harvard then. How about Harvard today? On April 6, 2004, and this happens uh, every year around this time, about 30 students gathered in Harvard U's Bolston Hall to kick off Gapril, a month set aside to include gay pride celebrations. A June 3, 2009 article in the New York Times announced, quote, Harvard University will endow a visiting professorship in gay studies, a position it believes will be the first endowed named chair in a subject at an American college. About Princeton University, Princeton founded in 1746 as the College of New Jersey. The school's model was, under God's power, she flourishes. Until 1902, every president of Princeton was a minister. Although seminary training was the school's first goal, its founding purpose went beyond that. Though our great intention was to erect a seminary for educating ministers of the gospel, yet we hope it will be useful in other learned professions. How about Princeton now? For years, Princeton University was known for their nude Olympics, an unofficial gathering of sophomores who streaked across the campus to commemorate the first snowfall of the year. The event uh, had become associated with excessive drinking, so it was shut down some 10 years ago, but not before the event had ran for about 20 years. Oh, I even have pictures of these uh, schools, and uh, you can see the remnants of Christianity on some of them, the, the Greek words and spelling out uh, Christian mottos. That brings us to Yale. Yale even has some nice... Hebrew writing on there. Founded in 1701, Yale's purpose was, quote, to plant and under ye divine blessing to propagate in this wilderness the blessed Protestant religion in purity of its order and worship. Until the turn of the 20th century, every president of Yale was a Christian minister. Inscribed in the front of the chapel are the words, Christ is the only, the true, the living way of access to God. Give up yourselves, therefore, to him with a cordial confidence, and the great work of life is done. And yes, it's still there to this day. One of Yale's precepts was, all scholars or students shall live religious, godly, and blameless lives according to the rules of God's word, diligently reading the holy scriptures, the fountain of light and truth, and constantly attend upon all duties of religion, both in public and secret. Seeing God as the giver of all wisdom, every student, besides private prayer, shall be present morning and evening at public prayer in the hall at the accustomed hour. So Yale, Yale in the good old days, had a required prayer meeting, not once a day, twice a day, morning and evening. Well, how about Yale today? From a Yale web page that proudly announced... In the 300 years since its founding, Yale has educated and been home to some of the most prominent gay scholars, activists, and artists in the nation's history. See how they just tried to rewrite 300 years of history? In the past 50 years, we have become a nationally known center for gay activism and scholarship. Now, on any given Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night at Yale... You can see a play with gay characters, actors, directors, or all of the above, or you can take in a film with a gay actor or content. 
And unfortunately, uh, Yale and these schools, they're not really all that unique. Colleges all across America are going the same way, and now we're even beginning to see states legalizing uh, gay marriage. More just recently, as I was driving here, we saw just this weekend how New York, the state, whole state of New York, uh, legalized it. Well, something else, this will blow your mind, folks. Hollywood, then and now. I mean, you, <laughs> when I read this, I could not believe it uh, because, you know, there's so much garbage that comes out of Hollywood. But Hollywood used to be a pretty decent place. From 1930 till 1960, Hollywood operated under a strict code of ethics known as the Hayes Code, also called the Production Code. The three major principles each film had to adhere to were number one, no picture shall be produced that will lower the moral standards of those who see it. Number two, correct standards of life shall be presented. Number three, law, natural or human, shall not be ridiculed. Now, the application of these laws led to some guiding principles. Get this. Nakedness and suggestive dances were prohibited. Ridicule of religion was forbidden. Ministers of religion were not to be represented as comic characters or villains. Boy, it's just the opposite now, isn't it? If you see a minister in a film, he's going to be either a villain or he's going to be made fun of. The depiction of illegal drug use was forbidden. Methods of crime, such as stealing and arson, etc., were not to be explicitly presented. The language section banned various words and phrases that were considered to be offensive. And wow, almost every film today has some offensive words. Murder scenes had to be filmed in a way that would discourage imitations in real life, and brutal killings could not be shown in detail. Um, a few weeks ago, well, it was a few months ago, around um, Passover and Easter, the, that film came on, The Ten Commandments. I love that movie. Uh, you know, made back in the 60s, Charlton Heston. Uh, just, a, just a great film, uh, really a masterful job he did. But we were watching, uh, my wife and, and kids and I, and for those that don't know, I have six kids, uh, we were watching that film, and there's a, the part there where Moses gets in a fight, and, you know, and he, he kills the guy. And my kids uh, kind of laughed, you know, they, they kind of chuckled because when they saw the fight, you know, it, it looks kind of hokey to us today, you know, it, it just when, because things are presented uh, today so graphically. Uh, remember years ago, uh, the cowboys and Indians, they're shooting at each other and, you know, you just see a guy fall over. Well, now in a gunfight, you know, it shows the bullet impact, it shows the blood flying everywhere. Well, you know, that was uh, against these standards that they had uh, years ago. Sanctity of marriage in the home had to be upheld. Adultery, although recognized as sometimes necessary to the plot, could not be explicit or justified and were not supposed to be presented as an attractive option. The flag of the United States was to be treated respectfully and the people and history of other nations were to be presented fairly. Now, if these same standards uh, were upheld today... <laughs> How many films would make it out of Hollywood? <laughs> you know, maybe one in a hundred. Well, finally, how about uh, television then and now? Professor Eisenbach has said, more than any other medium, television has the power to shape and manipulate the conscious and subconscious prejudices of the American people. On television, in 2008, 
The new broadcast TV season included 22 series featuring a total of, get this, 35 openly gay characters. Some of these programs were Grey's Anatomy, Desperate Housewives, Ugly Betty, Brothers and Sisters, Law and Order, ER, The Office, Survivor China, Two and a Half Men, House, American Dad, The Simpsons, Bones, The Shield, Rescue Me, Friends, and Project Runway, and a Sunday, January 4th, Extreme Home Makeover, Home Edition on ABC, even featured a gay designer. Finally, we have the acceptance uh, by corporate America of the gay lifestyle. Corporate America's embrace of the goals of gay activism has been exponential. While just 13 businesses receive perfect ratings of the Corporate Equality Index, that measures how accepting these businesses are of the gay lifestyle, only 13 received uh, perfect ratings in the year 2002. By 2005, more than 100 businesses had achieved perfect ratings, and by 2010, the number had reached over 300. Now, I know you cannot, you probably can't read the list that I have up there, but believe me, <clears throat> it's pretty much every business that you and I, you know, that, that we do business with today. Now, am I saying you should try to, you know, go out and boycott these? It'd be impossible. There, there's no way you, you would have to live out in the wilderness somewhere. And uh, we're not telling you you should do that. Though it might not be a bad idea, but. Uh, well, just to sum it up, in um, Revelation 14, 15, he says, As God poured out his wrath on this world, an angel cries out, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. The Greek word there for ripe has the idea that it's overripe, that the fruit is so ripe, it's almost to the point of rotten rotten to the core, and that's kind of the way our world is today, isn't it? It is not just ripe for judgment, it is overripe for judgment, and that tells us Jesus is coming soon. Amen?